This morning's passage is from chapter 11 of the book of Hebrews. So listen now to God's word for you. Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Indeed, by faith, our ancestors received approval. By faith, we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was made from things that are not visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain's. Through this, he received approval as righteous, God himself giving approval to his gifts. He died, but through his faith, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken so that he did not experience death, and he was not found because God had taken him. For it was attested before he was taken away that he had pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. For whoever would approach him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. To introduce this morning's theme, and there is a clear theme in the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews, I remind us of a memorable scene in the old classic movie, Indiana Jones in the Last Crusade. In order to save his father, who has been wounded by the bad guys, archeologist Indiana Jones has to cross a void to get to the Holy Grail. There is just one problem. It's too wide to jump across and there is no visible clear way in order to cross the the chasm as Indiana stands on the edge of the cliff. As he considers his options, he reads from his father's journal. Only in the leap from the lion's head will he prove his worth. And he also remembers his father's words. Let's watch. Impossible. Nobody can jump this. You must hurry! Come quickly! It's a leap of faith. You must believe, boy. You must.
many times I see that clip, that first step always makes me a little nervous. Let's consider together this morning the notion of faith. What is faith? Followers of Jesus use the word faith frequently. We encourage one another to have faith, to keep the faith, maybe to take a leap of faith as Indiana did, no matter whether he could see the bridge across the void or not. Theologian and author Frederick Beekner defines faith this way. Faith is better understood as a verb than as a noun, as a process than as a possession. It is on again, off again, rather than once and for all. Faith is not being sure where you're going, but going anyway, a journey without maps. It's not the amount of faith. It's the object that you place your faith in. You can have a little faith in thick ice and you will survive. Or you can have great faith in thin ice and you might drown. Everyone lives by faith in something. The question becomes, what is your faith anchored to? Biblical faith always depends upon its object. As a Reformed church, we affirm that we are just, justified by grace alone, through faith alone. We do not have to earn our salvation. <clears throat> Excuse me, y'all, or work for it. It is a gift from God. In the scripture read earlier by Bob, we heard that without faith, it is impossible to please God. In, or, in other words, it is absolutely essential. Faith is big for us. Fortunately, Hebrews 11 is an entire chapter in the Bible devoted to helping us understand faith. Verse 1 gives us a working definition of faith and then anchors and introduces the whole chapter. We read there in the first verse that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. Critical to the understanding of this verse is that word assurance or the confidence of things hoped for as you will see in the NIV or the substance of things hoped for as you will read in the New King James Version or the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living as we read in the contemporary translation of the Bible, the message. Let me teach you a Greek word this morning. Hypostasis. Hypostasis. Say it with me. Hypostasis. Faith is the hypostasis of things hoped for. This word in the Greek literally means that which goes underneath something which causes it or makes it to stand. That which goes underneath something which causes or makes it to stand. It is that which exists beneath and supports what is visible. It has the sense of a foundation. Even as the foundation of a building is unseen and the building above ground is visible, the foundation, the hypostasis, is nevertheless real, supporting the building. Friends, remember that this 
book, this New Testament book, was written to a people who had experienced difficulty. These Hebrews were facing intense suffering. The whole aim of this letter is the encouragement to persevere. Faith is the foundation of your life that causes you to be able to stand in all of life, you bet, but most especially during times of trial when you are in the darkest, most confusing times of life. Faith as the assurance of things hoped for is not just an inward confidence. It also has an outward practicality. Inwardly, Christians have an inward assurance and confidence today, here and now. Outwardly, they embody faith. In the words of Thomas Long, seminary professor, faith as an inward reality sings, we shall overcome. Faith as an outward reality marches at Selma. Faith as an inward reality trusts God's promises that mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Faith as an outward reality prays boldly for those who mourn, serves tenderly those who weep, works tirelessly to ease the pain of those who are wounded. The rest of the chapter contains a whirlwind tour of many great heroes of the faith. The author names those in every generation who courageously, like the Apostle Peter, swung their legs over the side of the boat and moved into something that did not make sense because God was there joining him in a water-walking life and trusting that the promises of God would hold firm. You can't help but notice all the names. The writer chooses to be very specific. We live in a very depersonalized society. The Bible makes a big deal about names, place names, pages of genealogy, Tribal names, individual names of, of folks. You can say a person's name and it means something. Until there is a name, there is no relationship. The rest of the chapter is a long narrative of trust in God, a list of various ways particular people demonstrated faith by their actions. For while it may be hard to define faith, it is easy to recognize it by the way it acts. Faith is a life lived in a trust relationship with God. And we demonstrate our faith in God in tangible ways. You may wonder why Abel is on the list. Virtually all, all we know about Abel is that he was the second son of Adam and Eve, a keeper of sheep. He made an acceptable offering to God and he was murdered by his brother. We have no other details, yet God accepted Abel's sacrifice over Cain's probably because he gave to God his very best. But then a curious thing is said about Abel. Abel never said a recorded word while alive, but we see there in verse 4, 
that through his faith, his life still speaks. Covenant within this particular church family, the roll call of faith continues. You may not think you belong on the list. If you have doubts that you even belong on this ongoing litany of examples of faith, let me remind you, Noah got drunk. Abraham was too old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was unattractive. Moses was a murderer. Gideon was afraid. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah, heaven forbid, preached naked. Jonah ran from God. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced more than once. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was a murderer and Lazarus was dead. Faith involves God doing extraordinary miracles through very ordinary people. And no one is beyond the reach of God's friendship. We stand on the shoulders of others who encourage us to run the Christian ultra marathon. Though long gone, I am positively impacted and influenced by the way Joseph forgave his brothers and by the way my great grandpa sacrificially served his bedridden wife. Their lives still speak. All of these and so much more, so many more, walking by faith in their own distinct way, showing us all that faith is to be embodied and that love is in action, laying oneself down as a sacrifice and as a service. I encourage you to take time this week to engage in the important work of remembering Living or deceased, who has inspired you? What was worthy of imitation? How did they reflect God's love and help you to grow? Who inspired you? What was worthy of imitation? How did they reflect God's love and help you to grow? Consider those questions this week. And as you do this work of remembering, examine your own life as well. What markers of God's presence are you leaving behind on the trail for those who will come after you? Remember back in chapter 2, the author was concerned about drifting. We are urged to pay attention to what we have heard and learned so that we do not drift away from it. Drifting is a passive thing and it happens without much effort. Staying the course is quite a different matter. It requires a plan and some effort. C.S. Lewis reminds us of this important aspect of faith in his book, Mere Christianity. We have to be continually reminded of what we believe, writes Lewis. 
Neither this belief nor any other will automatically remain alive in the mind. It must be fed. And as a matter of fact, if you examined a hundred people who had lost their faith in Christianity, I wonder how many of them would turn out to have been reasoned out of it by honest argument. Do not most people simply drift away? We need signposts and markers to help us to stay the course and not drift away. Often this comes in the form of people. Community is absolutely essential. Surviving on our own is never the goal. My maternal grandmother impacted my life greatly. I've shared this before. Losing both of her parents at a young age, she traveled at the age of eight, alone, from Scotland to America in order to live with distant relatives. Her extended family pulled together most all of the resources that they had to help her to go to the new world, to the land of opportunity. She didn't want to go. In fact, it broke her heart to leave Scotland. She had already lost her dad and then her mom, and now at the age of eight, leaving Scotland would mean also forever leaving behind the person that was now the most important person in the world to her, her baby brother. But nevertheless, she was sent on her way. Unbeknownst to her family, distant family members agreed to take her in because they wanted a servant. Trapped for nearly two decades, help and rescue eventually came in the form of my stubborn grandpa when my grandmother was 27 years of age. My grandmother's life had a, a difficult beginning, and more trials came. After her rescue in a season of prosperity, early married years, and the birth of four children, there came a failed business venture for my grandpa and bankruptcy, a, a difficult and scary health experience with one of her children, and for the last years of life, the darkness of dementia. Yet regardless of life's circumstances, she was able to trust God and to find blessing in the midst of hardship and to ebb and to flow between good times and bad with great grace. Her faith in God was the foundation of her life, which she took care to nurture in a variety of ways throughout all of her days. Grandma has always been an example of faith to my family as one who was able to live in times of ease and in times of difficulty. Her faith and her life inform me still to this day. Which is why traveling to rural, the rural town of Chernside, Scotland, was on my bucket list for over 20 years, which I was able to realize just two years ago when I had the incredible delight of going to my grandmother's church, the earliest church for her, a parish of the Church of Scotland that was founded in the 12th century. 
I longed to draw near to the church that Grandma had talked with me about that had loved her so well, that little Presbyterian church that is in the middle of nowhere, that is an early, that was an early signpost of God's love, not the building, but the people, specific people. Which is why my grandmother stayed so close to the church in Scotland and in America throughout her life. Because no matter how lonely or frightened or discouraged she became, the people at the church could always help her to find her way back to the one who loved her more than she dared imagine who she could trust. That's what we get to do as the church. Faith and trust in God is the foundation under everything and our handle on what we cannot see. I hope you will find time this week to reflect, reflect upon God's great gifts of particular people who have and continue to shape you, who encourage your faith in God in order to experience revival, we need each other. Who is spurring you on to journey through life with faith? Let's pray. Loving God, how enormously grateful we are for examples of faith, ancient and recent, ones we have not yet met and those we share life with intimately. May the witness of their lives give us courage, inspire us to persevere and to live faithful lives. Please grant each of us the grace to not drift away. Nourish our faith, lead and guide us in all things that we may honor you in all that we say and do. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. And all of God's people together with gratitude we say, amen.